Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 136 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, please check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. While you're there, check out our 2022 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or truck. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and a bunch of other fun stuff. And, and this is important, you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work can be found all over the internet. Hello, Jill Simonillo. Hello, Tom Appel. How's it going? It is going well. Uh, Damon is out this week. <sighs> Darn him. Uh, yeah. what, what, what cool thing is he doing this week? Damon is in Lisbon, Portugal. I mean, Portland, Maine. I always <laughs> Well, you know, they sound so similar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is this is not a joke. I got a text from him. He is kayaking in the ocean. Okay. So there you go. All right, kayaking in the ocean. That's pretty cool. I you know what? I bet he's driving a Subaru. <laughs> see, uh, see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. yeah if he puts that kayak on the Subaru, he will have to be fired. Um, <laughs> or promoted. You know. All right. I have a Mia Culpa. We made a mistake last week. Okay. I made a mistake several times when talking about Max Baumhefner, our guest from the Natural Resources Defense Council. We refer to that organization as the National Resources Defense uh, Council. That is incorrect. Natural. Natural. Not national. The got NRDC. It. And you can go there and check stuff out at NRDC.com. I've got a quick question for you. I may or may not have a quick answer. It's probably not going to be a quick answer. answer. Because of the way the question is being phrased, you'll have a quick answer. Okay. Do you know what Car Bravo is? No, I do not. That was a quick answer. Yeah, there you go. Car Bravo is General Motors' answer to Carvana. And that's something we'll be talking about more, I imagine, someday soon. But yeah, General Motors is working on an OEM platform for used used car sales. Interesting. I have to wonder where Bravo came from. I don't know. Car Bravo sounds a lot like Carvana. That's all I've got. <laughs> well, it makes me think of um, the the airline codes when they, you know, Alpha, Bravo, you know, when they... Oh, Fox Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting that a manufacturer would get involved in used car sales to this degree, but I guess it supports its dealer network. Well, and with used car sales uh, going through the roof right now, um, yeah, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. I guess, I guess, yeah, it would allow GM to take a little piece of that pie, too, I suppose. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Jill, uh, Damon's not here. Perhaps you can tell me what's going on on the show today. Uh, perhaps I can. Uh, so coming up after this first segment, we have John Beal, who is the editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile. And uh, we have some interesting topics to discuss. There's a new issue coming out. And, um, yeah, there's some good stuff in there. So he'll be coming up after the break. But first, but first, yeah. I want to talk about something that we, we kind of touched on briefly last week, um, but the embargo hadn't lifted yet. And um, now it has. So I want to talk about the Escalade V. Cadillac Escalade V. Okay. You know what? We, we always use the word embargo. Let's just explain what that is, too. Fair go, point. Go ahead and tell us what an embargo is and why you were unable to act until that lifted. <laughs> right. Um, um, so inside baseball term, embargo, um, yeah. in the media, we often get the chance to, to drive something before it's available to the public. And what, what happens is we, we go to a location, we drive the vehicle, and there's several waves of people who come through. So it could be a week-long wave of people coming through to drive the vehicle, journalists coming through to drive the vehicle. Everybody gets to drive the vehicle. And so they set it down. Deadline at some point in the future, after which we can begin talking about what we drove. So up until that point, we're not allowed to, to talk about it because they want to give everybody the chance to drive it 
then um, after the deadline, we can we can begin talking about it. So basically, an embargo is just a deadline um, after which we can begin discussing what we saw. Yeah, and it helps the manufacturer manage the message. We're cooperative mm-hmm. because we want access to the product, but they also may not want the news out until things are in place, uh, an ad campaign, for example, yeah. or inventory in dealerships or whatever the reason. So, yeah, they don't want this information squirreling out willy-nilly. And you know what else is exactly like this? Hmm. Movie reviews. Yes. Yeah, my yeah. good friend Nick DeGilio, who's a Chicago radio host and podcaster, sees a lot of movies, a lot of yeah. movies. And, yeah. and he usually can't talk about them until the embargo lifts. And that's usually like Thursday night in most cases for movies. Yeah, embargoes, and it's funny, for embargoes for automotive are usually at like 6 a.m. on a Monday morning, and, and it has to do with, um, or even 5 a.m. on a Monday morning, it has to do with the old newspaper publishing schedule. And and so, oh, sure, um, you, sure. you know, when yeah. the newspapers would be um, dropped on people's doorsteps, that's when the embargo would lift. So, you know, as, as a journalist, you write your story. Like, so I, I, I already had my story written before the embargo lifted, and it was just waiting to publish. And, and so, um, you know, the, the embargo lifts at 6 a.m. Eastern time, Monday morning, and then the story goes live. But, but that was all due to when, you know, the, the original newspapers would show up on your doorstep so the story was already in the paper people you know who were printing the paper had already seen it and uh, here's to hope and it didn't show up at 559 on somebody's doorstep you know that's interesting back back when i started with consumer guide way you know back around 2000 um there used to be what they called long leads and this mm-hmm. is because there were still a lot of monthly publications including consumer guide we used to mm-hmm. be a monthly publication and obviously we couldn't comply with a strict embargo so they used to do uh for long leads it would be for the cover of the magazine mm. the cover date of the magazine which was very confusing things are tighter now yeah no and, and i mean with everything the transition to web um it, this is totally inside baseball, but we've been having a lot of conversations with automakers about moving embargoes to like one or two o'clock in the afternoon to fit with a more like YouTube friendly web based schedule. So. Or anyone friendly. Yeah, anyone friendly. Who who is awake at six AM? That would not be me actually. I'm not a morning um, person and I'm certainly no. not a good writer at five in the morning. No, no, I, I sleep as late as possible. Uh, but yeah, so that, that, is, that is an embargo with a lot of inside journalism baseball <laughs> going on there. Um, we were going to talk about a Cadillac of some sort. I forgot what it was. <laughs> we were, in fact, um, going to talk about a Cadillac. So I had the opportunity to drive the Cadillac Escalade V, um, and it was the ESV model, so the extended wheelbase version of that, um, a, a couple weeks ago. And it was, um, so this is the, the new full-size Cadillac SUV three-row uh, with a, a 6.2-liter V8 engine. So this is, this is fundamentally the least necessary Cadillac ever built. Uh, yeah. but, but it might be among the more entertaining yeah, you know, it, it was a fascinating vehicle to drive because first off, this is this is a big, big vehicle, yet it boasts a zero to sixty mile per hour time of four point four seconds. <laughs> and I, I mean why? why? Why does it do that? I, I, I just it's yeah, it's it's impressive. And um <laughs> but here's the thing. So we we were driving the extended wheelbase versions because of the fact that they hadn't started producing any of the short wheelbase version vehicles. That, that is baffling to me. I would think that the sportier version of this would be the shorter wheelbase. I realize that no matter what, we're talking about a gigantic vehicle, but but you would think that the short wheelbase might be the one you would make sporty, but they're doing both the short wheelbase and the long wheelbase ESV, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I mean, I guess in a way I can kind of see like the ESV version, like because there's probably a lot of um, high profile people who um, would be chauffeured in this vehicle or maybe want to buy the vehicle, um, yeah. you know, yeah. sports, sports, um, athletes, um, especially like basketball players, tall people, because I mean, the, um, these vehicles are very, very 
um, catered isn't the right word, but very tailored to somebody who's taller. So being on the short side of the spectrum, um, I thought the seat was a little bit too big. But the really great thing about it is it was highly adjustable and it had massaging seats, which was awesome. Um, But I was able to get really good visibility out of it. And it drove a lot smaller than um, than what I thought it would. I love that term, drive smaller. Uh, Yeah. I'm actually driving the, the Sierra, the 2023 GMC Sierra AT, what is that vehicle called? AT4X. AT4X, yeah. Yeah, and, and that drives a little bit smaller, too. The suspension is very buttoned down. It doesn't feel very big. So when we say it drives small, we just mean it doesn't feel as big as it is, really. It's, it's just sort of fundamentally tighter and sportier, perhaps, than you might expect. So talk about this V thing. Is this a separate model, or is this a package that's applied to an existing trim level? This is this is going to be a separate model. So it's kind of like the, um, the I guess they don't make it anymore, but like the CTS-V that they uh-huh. had. So it's a V-series vehicle that has the special engine, uh, special supercharger. So this has a um, the same supercharger that you see on the CT5-V um, okay. Blackwing, um, but it, it's a little bit bigger. And I mean, this is 682 horsepower. This is a lot of horsepower. So it's 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 silly. It's like the pinnacle of luxury power performance um, packaged in this full-size SUV. And and so, I, I mean, the, the vehicles we were driving, I don't think I said this yet, this was a $152,000 vehicle. You didn't say that yet. <laughs> I'm just letting that sink in, 152k. Okay. And and the um, starting price of the Cadillac Escalade V non-ESV, so just the standard wheelbase version, is like 149,990 dollars. And and so like so 150,000 dollars. So for the the Escalade V series, you um, you know it's it's just like a two two thousand dollar add. And frankly, like what I was really impressed with is the. cargo space like you could put six people in there comfortably and all of their luggage well that's the beauty of these things and the general mm-hmm. motors large suvs all of them the gmc uh yukons the the suburban and the uh the tahoe these are really practical vehicles if you need that size and if you need that capability these are great vehicles and in fact we have the escalate as a best buy for 2022 here at consumer guide though i'm not entirely sure the v series qualifies based on value <laughs> maybe so, maybe not <laughs> talk to me talk to me about ride and handling on this thing do they handle is the suspension beefed up from the beginning or do you go through a drive mode that gets you to the the more appropriate v suspension setting so they have what they call v mode and so that that is just one of the things that's going to be different on this vehicle and when you go through v mode it basically beefs up your steering your suspension your braking your um like you can you can the sound of the engine oh my gosh the sound of the engine so all of that is in v mode and it's like to the max and um, so they have the V mode, they have a my mode. So like, say you wanted the crazy sound of the engine, um, but you wanted everything else to be like in touring or comfort modes. Like you could, you could tune it that way. Well, that's um, just posing. That's just posing. <laughs> that's totally posing. Um, or maybe you wanted all of the, um, you know, the suspension and um, the, the beefed up goodies for, from the, the V series, but you were going to be driving home at midnight. Like yeah. you could create a my like the, the midnight my mode um, and you have stealth mode for the engine. So it, it gives you all the, the fun stuff, but then would quiet the engine. So I got um, to go back, though. I'm not down with this. If you're making the noise, <laughs> your ride quality should suffer. You should be paying for that. Well, I, I will tell you, your your fuel economy will suffer. <laughs> um, I, so while I was driving, I and they haven't released the actual fuel economy numbers yet. And I, but but while I was driving, and I, so it was, I drove for two hours, and then I, I had a drive partner who drove for two hours. And by the end of the day, we averaged about twelve miles per gallon. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, anecdotal conversation from engineers or product people who had been driving this vehicle before the launch, um, they were saying they were getting about 15.5 miles per gallon. 
That might be optimistic, but frankly, breaking 12 miles per gallon in a 6,000-pound vehicle that's almost 700 <laughs> horsepower isn't crazy. No, I mean, that just is a huge testament to um, how well-engineered this vehicle is. Yeah, I mean, that's terrible fuel economy on yeah. an absolute basis, but it's really good fuel economy for the beast you're describing. Yeah, and I, I feel like um, the regular Cadillac Escalade, and, and I, somebody will be very quick to correct me, I'm sure, if I'm wrong, but I feel like the regular Cadillac Escalade gets 14 miles per gallon in the city and 19 miles per per gallon on the highway. So that feels, that feels approximately right. Yeah. So, I mean, with the bigger engine and the really fast launch times and all of that, I mean, 12 miles per gallon, I think that's pretty good for what that is. I, so I, I don't know. Escalade V available on the shorty and the long wheelbase vehicle. When does this thing go on sale? Um, so they are, they're targeting, I, I believe they're starting production in July. So I would okay. say um, probably beginning of August and was when we would start to see it in dealerships. And they haven't released numbers. That, that's, the, that's the other thing. They haven't released any of the production numbers. All they're saying is that it will be exclusive. I could see that. I, it's interesting, too, that they want to make noise like this right now, that Cadillac does, because they've got the Lyric coming out. And the Lyric, yeah. of course, is their all-new midsize electric vehicle. Gorgeous. People should look up a picture of the Lyric. Uh, yeah. Beautiful car. And you would think they want to throw all the news right there. And, in fact, that launch is beginning now, is it not? Yeah, I feel like the press drives are either this week or not. Actually, they're next week. So probably within two weeks, we'll start seeing information about the new Lyric. Um, but, you know, it, it, I just find this kind of an interesting vehicle for right now. I mean, gas prices in Chicago are over $6 a gallon, you know, right. especially if you're looking at premium fuel. Um, then, you know, you you have Cadillac itself, which is going to become an all-electric brand, I think by, they said 2030. And, and so basically, this is going to have a very short shelf life and you know and, and it's it's a lovely well-designed vehicle the the um i was totally geeking out of the fact uh, over the fact that the brake calipers are red and it matches the key fob so that it has a corresponding red um accent on the the key fob to match the brake caliper so little details like that are really well done but then you have a $152,000 price tag that doesn't include um, Super Cruise. <laughs> which, is, which is their semi-autonomous system, which has been big-time yeah. upgraded for 2022 and 2023, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you've driven. because uh, Actually, I think you I said you were not. in the AT4X right now. I haven't driven Super Cruise in like four years. So I feel like AT4X might have Super Cruise, and you you should go and test that on the highway because it's as I describe it in um, one of my videos, it's creepy but cool uh, <laughs> because uh, it's 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 fascinating because it has all of the lane centering technology, hands free driving. So you on um, I think it's two hundred thousand miles of highway is when this is eligible to be operated, um, but you activate it, you take your hands off the wheel, and the vehicle will modulate your speed um, based on the speed limit, based on the vehicle in front of you, uh, based on where you have your cruise control set. And then it will automatically change lanes for you. So like you do nothing, but a slower vehicle gets in front of you. The vehicle sees that the lane on the left side is clear and it will turn on the blinker and automatically move you over. And then it will pass the vehicle and then automatically move you back to the other side. That and is it, the creepy part. It will do this based on your preset um, speed, right? So if yeah. you if you got your speed set for a completely legal sixty five miles an hour, guy in front of you is going sixty. It'll make the decision itself. Mm -hmm. The system will to pass this dude who's slowing you down. Yes, I mean it yeah. is. It is That's pretty great. That's it's creepy but cool. Like I said, it's it's very it's very weird. And the first time you were in the vehicle and it does it, it's like ah, what's going on here? So, but it was, it was, it, 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 so at any rate, the, to, to summarize the Cadillac Escalade V, I know we're, we're running out of time here. Um, it is a really cool vehicle, drives really well, uh, but, you know, there are a couple of um, things to make you go home moments with the $152,000 price tag and um, like Super Cruise not being standard. So, how much does Super Cruise add? 
Um, so they don't have the configurator live yet. Oh, um, oh okay. And so I, I couldn't tell you, but I believe it. it, it and I, I believe it's a part of a package. So I mean, there's other things that are not standard on a hundred and fifty-two thousand dollar vehicle. Yeah, because Super Cruise just became available. Um, allow me to stretch out this thing and blow off our target time here. Okay. But, uh, Super Cruise is now available on the Chevrolet Bolt and Bolt yep. EV and Bolt EUV, and that's a twenty-four or twenty-two hundred dollar option there. Although that is a simpler system. It won't do the passing thing. But still, a semi-autonomous system on a car under 30 grand is interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, we've talked about that vehicle previously. That in itself is just an interesting vehicle. So. Yeah, it is. All right, Jill, thank you for that, for that quick look at the Cadillac uh, Escalade V. That goes on sale, we said, sometime this summer. Yep. All right. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we talk to John Beal of Collectible Automobile Magazine. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and I'm delighted you're sticking around with us today. Hey, this is the part of the show, and I strongly recommend that you follow me on Twitter. I'm super fun to follow. I am Car Guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today is the award-winning editor-in-chief of the award-winning magazine Collectible Automobile. Welcome back to the Car Stuff Podcast, John Beale. John, how's it going? I'm fine, Tom. How are you? Hello, Jill. How, how are you Hello. doing today? Good, good. Great. John, you, you guys have another magazine on the newsstand here with a really pretty blue car on the cover. Tell us about uh, your fine magazine. Uh, our fine magazine with the 1958 uh, Chrysler 300 convertible on the cover uh, is Collectible Automobile, as you mentioned. Uh, our, our, we come out uh, every two months, six times a year. Uh, 96 lovely pages with uh, fantastic photography and some writing from some, some really great authors uh, who, who really know their stuff. And uh, So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what we do. Now, I've got a question they, for you right away. Doing it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. <laughs> nothing go ahead i was just i had a question for you about the cover car i'm noticing for the first time and i've been looking at this magazine for a week now this is the 300d so that's the sporty version of the chrysler series um and it seems to actually have less chrome was that a thing that they did as far back as the 50s on the 300s they did uh yeah they went they went for a uh a, a kind of a minimalist uh no-nonsense look uh from the th- first 300 came out in 1955 and they basically they put kind of New Yorker uh, style uh, interior equipment and the big engine into the, with their Windsor body, which is a little bit plainer, a little bit down-trimmed, and it looked just right for the, um, you know, for the mood that they wanted to try to create. And so that was, that was sort of a uh, uh, sort of a 300 thing, you know, for a lot of people, your premium car, you, you needed to sort of like scream, hey, I'm the fancy, you know, wagon, and, you know, there would be you know, a lot of stuff tacked on them, but the 300s actually went the other way. That was kind of a consistent thing for them. Interesting. Now talk about Sporty in 1958. What was Sporty about this car? About a big motor, brakes, suspension? Really, yeah, primarily the motor, the engine. This, I mean, this is a car with the, you know, you're talking about that thing got a Hemi, that one does. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> this is these are the, the, the things that started, that actually started to make the Hemi, you know, famous. And uh, yeah, Chrysler, that was their, their first V8 uh, design in 1951 was the hemispherical combustion chambers, um, and they continued to sell those in the mainline Chryslers and and uh, some Imperials uh, through 1958, and uh, then they changed to a to a different uh, to a wedgehead uh, uh, engine uh, that they could make all the power they wanted. People just felt different about them. They thought that they they kind of generated the power a little bit differently, and and uh, so they really kind of admired the the old Hemis and. Um, uh, uh, this was, but this was a great, you know. By by the fifty seven, fifty eight, the engine made uh, it was at three hundred ninety two uh, uh, cubic inches, which was became a pretty famous engine for a lot of drag racing uh, yeah. applications, and up to three hundred seventy five horsepower, even three ninety with like optionals that they, you know, they had some op- they even actually had some options for. They would tr- try nineteen fifty eight very briefly. They tried. Uh, uh, 
uh, Bendix fuel injection, uh, which turned out to be a little bit. Uh, the, the electronics of it were not kind of up to the to the days to the times yet. The technology was kind of behind the idea, uh, and uh, so the, the execution wasn't so good. But but they were yeah they even thought of you know they were even had that in the in the plan. So uh, so that was primarily it. There was also beefed up suspension. The 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 um, fifty seven fifty eight Chryslers all the entire products they went to the uh, their torsion bar front suspensions and they even the 300s even had an even you know beefier which they had a reputation back in the day of making chrysler products uh pretty good riding and you know uh, and, and pretty good handling cars you know for the times and they were still giant you know giant boats or you know everything but uh but uh, you know and then you throw in the 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 virgil exner styling the the forward look you know uh, tail fin look yeah and you just had a great big powerful looking but powerful acting car too yeah, it's cool. Well, and, and I just wanted to say, I think it's really interesting. So you're talking about 390 horsepower, which by today's standards, you're like, well, that's not a lot. But like looking at some of the articles, other articles in the magazine that, you know, you're talking about at the time, you're 128 horsepower, you know, so 390, 392 horsepower for the time was a lot. Uh, yeah, that, uh, at least for a year or so in there, one of those years, a couple of those years, the 300 was like the most, you know, powerful, you know, they were advertising it as, you know, America's most powerful car. So, it, you know, it had like the horsepower uh, championship, for, you know, for, for, you know, American built stock cars, you know, off the showroom floor for, you know, for a few years. Uh, there was a, uh, got to be a Mercury got, got bigger uh, uh, in, in 58, but um, there was a Mercury and a Lincoln engine. It was bigger in 58, but in 57, that 300. 75 horsepower in the in the uh, 300 was was tops so um you know that was yeah that was considered a lot i mean when you consider that 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 fire that uh firepower hemi engine when it was introduced in 1951 was at 180 <laughs> that's how fast they had yeah. you know they had pumped things up so john tell us what else is going on in this issue well um I did want to give a shout out quickly to the the author of the uh, the 300 article, uh, Annie McCona, is a good friend of yeah. ours from from oh, the yeah. area here. Um, we've got an article on the 1968 to 73 uh, Datsun 510 uh, yeah. that was uh, in some circles regarded as sort of the uh, the poor man's BMW 1600 in the days, and um, uh, it's kind of famous for having a little bit of a racing success, you know, which was odd for a car that a lot of people looked at as sort of just a uh, uh, you know kind of a run of the mill uh, affordable. Econo box. Uh, we also did an article on the uh, the 1933-34 Pontiacs, uh, which were a, a, a kind of a, a change for them, and they added a, a straight eight engine, which uh, that that served them for a good many years, and that was the, the debut point for that. Uh, and we've also got a, a feature story uh, uh, again, written by another friend of the uh, of the group here, uh, Sam Fiorani. Sam. Uh, who wrote? Uh, yes, and he wrote for. He wrote about the 1980 to 84 Lincoln, the large full-size Lincoln that we know as the town car now, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, downsized uh, in 1980 to kind of catch up with the uh, you know the the, uh, the days of the really giant cars were over. They were the, the, the 79 Lincolns were the last really really full you know legitimately full-size cars, and 80 marked a, a, a demarcation point where they were uh, downsized drastically. And that was a huge deal, right? Because this is this is a tricky move for them, right? This is their bread and yeah. butter car, and they needed to downsize this. They absolutely needed to do it, but the 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 opportunity yeah, to yeah. lose well, customers was huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean that 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 same ethic. That, you know, that um, General Motors was the first uh, corporation to take their in 1977 to take their uh, their large cars. They were still very popular, by the way. You know, people you know tend to forget that that um, you know they think of the the gas crisis days. Right up to that point, the the uh, the standards, you know, the Chevy Impalas and Olds eighty eights, and you know those, those you know, they sold very well. Some of them sometimes they were the best selling um, you know single product in, in, in a manufacturer's mix. You know, which is it was kind of a, that was still sort of a carryover from the fifties and sixties, and you know, uh, people sort of expected you know they expected that to be those the kind of cars, and then of course the gas crisis changed everything and everybody started looking smaller and more frugal and if these cars were going to survive they were going to have to get smaller you know and plus you also had pressure from the uh, you know the, the new federal uh, corporate average fuel economy standard right. that we're going to start in 78 
And these guys said, there's just, there's no way we can make the cars we're making. You know, these, these 120 some inch wheelbase, uh, you know, uh, behemoths and, and, and still with, with 300 and, you know, high 300, 400 plus cubic inch engines that are going to meet that, that are going to, you know, they're going to get under the federal, uh, you know, the guidelines. So we're going to have to bring those things way down. But they didn't want to lose. People expected us to say a certain level of, of expectation of comfort and luxury from these cars. And it, so the trick was to make them smaller on the outside, but in some ways bigger on the inside, mm-hmm. and, you know, and try to extract, uh, you know, so people didn't feel like they were getting cheated. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's, that's kind of what they pulled off here with, the, with these Lincolns. Yeah, and I see it. It's interesting because we—I mean—you had mentioned the General Motors B bodies, the '77 and on um, Impala '88 and LeSabre, and the same thing seems to have happened here very effectively. This vehicle is smaller, but it, it conveys a really nice sense of presence and size. It looks like a big luxury car, and and these sold pretty well, did they not? Well, they, they, yeah, it was. Uh, they, they took a bit of a hit at first. Part of that was due to the, the you know, economy. You forget that you know, like 1980 was you know, um, uh, kind of very deeply recessionary. You know, those are the days of you know, 19 percent interest rates, and and um, um, so there was a there was a it was a bad time in the economy, and it seemed like it, it hurt Lincoln an awful lot. They went from 93,000 units or something in '79 to 31.6 or something. Oh, and, oh. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, to launch this this entirely new kind of car, but when the, as the economy uh, got some new strength, people they, these cars tend to be probably, you know very popular. In fact, this platform lasted until like two thousand eight. So they, you know the, the underpinnings, the, the exteriors changed an awful lot. But people, you know, town cars were around forever. You know, they they did they proved to be very popular. And by about nineteen eighty five, they had actually gotten to the point where they cracked a hundred thousand uh, a year model year uh, production. So you know, the, so they made they made up that the ground that they lost. They made it up kind of fast. I sort of forgot. I sort of forgot that there were coupe versions of these vehicles, and they look very foreign <laughs> to me now because they must not be very common. No, no, they were. Uh, yeah, they were. Uh, according to our, our production charts, they the, uh, they were only like seventy one hundred of the eighties, and only but not quite five thousand of the nineteen eighty ones. And then after that, the Lincoln decided to just leave the two door business to the to the Continental Mark, you know, to the Mark Six, and and you know later. So the the Marks were going to be their two door. If you wanted a two door Lincoln, you had to get the personal luxury car. Um, and they, they left the the town car exclusively as a four door sedan. And in several different trim levels, and you know, um, you know, levels of, of plushness. Uh, remember the Cartiers, the designer series. Oh yeah, those are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, the had, you know, they every year they would change the color scheme. You know, um, so yeah, the, those they, you know those cars, those Lincolns had a, a good strong, a good strong following for a long time, and they they barely you know they they, they would change them incrementally every few years and. Like I say, the the it didn't seem to, uh, to hurt them uh, in terms of of uh, sales. They they remained very popular. Of course, you know they were big with the livery business, and uh, um, you know uh, you, I, I remember you, the expressways being filled in the mornings on my commutes into work with a lot of you know so-called black cars. You know, yeah. getting a ride to the air. You know, you, you, rather, rather than taking a cab, they had a you know they had a driver come and pick them up, and you know. <laughs> And there were, you know, a ton of those town cars, and and um, um, you know, so that you know, that kind of like private livery business was pretty big with the, for those things. So, so if I turn the page after this particular story, I stumble on a truly gorgeous car. Tell us about this photo feature, the 1967 Chevy Camaro RS. Man, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a nice little car. It's a, a, a shoot from a car that we've had around for a while, uh, and we finally had a great opportunity to. Uh, to get it in, uh, that's a that, that's a nice car. It's uh, um, uh, basically your you know, just above your little your, your basic Camaro from the first year, the year that the, that the Camaro first came on the market um, in 1967. Uh, the RS was a so was a more of a decor package, more of an appearance package than anything else. It didn't really add any uh, um, any performance stuff that was available on cars with the base six uh, with the small V8s, but you could also add it. To the the Super Sport package, uh, so you oh. that, that famous 
hidden headlight grill and things that that came with the rally sport package but those were that was an add-on to the SS's and you know a lot of people who collect these Camaros you know have those they have SS's with with the you know with the rally sport equipment on them so to make sure I've got my, my, my alphanumerics correct here, RS was strictly a, an appearance package. SS was the performance stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was, okay. yeah, that was the super sport versus the rally sport. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, the RSs were, you know, they're, they're, if you take a look at the uh, the equipment on it, it was basically all, uh, you know, all appearance things, you know. So it, it um, you know, it started, you know, with the, the yeah, the basic exposed headlight, uh, very little trim Camaro, uh, the entry level car. It would kind of get dressed up, and then if you really wanted to go, uh, you needed to order the SS package, which got, initially got you a 350, uh, which was at the time unique. That was the first application uh, the, the 350 small block uh, V8. And but then later in the year, after the first of the year, they added a 396, a big block. Oh. Um, that uh, yeah. Um, uh, that, that you know, and the the uh, that's what the, uh, the the Camaro that paced the, fi- the Indianapolis 500 that year had the had the big block in it. So my question to you here is, before we wrap up, um, as you know, my vision is getting bad because I'm aging. <laughs> is this is this an automatic or a three on the tree? It's an automatic. This, this particular okay. one has the optional uh, power light automatic. All right, because that shifter looks really big, and I thought maybe that was. <laughs> That little shift knob mm-hmm. there. Look, look, you'll you'll see the little uh, the little quadrant uh, peeking up over the steering wheel hub and uh, the pernindle, as as, as people call it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's got it's got the uh, it's got a power glide uh, automatic transmission and the the basic two barrel three twenty seven uh, horsepower two ten horsepower uh, uh, V eight, um, which was the the standard. Uh, V8 power plant for the for yeah. Camaros. They're all for a couple of sixes. Now, now, John, we're we're this is completely off topic, 100% off topic. We're coming up on Father's Day. Do you have any good ideas for Father's Day gifts? <laughs> well, let me see. There's probably like a pipe. A pipe. Um, good. Good. Uh, you, a pipe. A pipe. Uh, I would think like a a uh, a very uh, showy Hawaiian shirt of some sort, uh-huh. possibly something very loose and comfortable for the coming summer. And yeah, then so I would get probably just throw in a subscription to CA, maybe if you're. Oh, that's good. That's topical. <laughs> How would people do that, John? Well, they can reach our our website, uh, Collectible Automobile. Dot com and that's collectible with an I B L E, and uh, if they do that, they will find uh, a, a space there, an information on how they can order. I online. can give you this endorsement. My dad reads the magazine and loves it. Well, then I love him. He sounds like a great guy. <laughs> and I, you wish him a happy well, yeah, happy Father's Day. So I will do that. All right. Well, John, this is a great looking magazine. We will have to have you back on soon. Thank you. I look forward to it. All right. That is John Beal with Collectible Automobile Magazine. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Thanks for sticking around today. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. I've got a note here that you have given up social media. Why'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, although I will say there is going to be a 10 day lull in October where I do, in fact, give up social media. Wow. Um, so, it's so you're lead. being. It's not lead. No. What are you doing? No, so your 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 um, fake comment was actually predictive. Um, so I'm doing um, from October 6th to the 15th. I'm going to be in the desert of California and Nevada doing the Rebel Rally, which is a female only um, off road navigation competition. With, so with no um, electronic devices. 
no electronic devices. They actually make us disable the GPS in the vehicle, and I'm going to be driving a Hyundai Santa Cruz. So they'll disable the GPS in there. They take our phones away. They literally pry them out of our fingers and take them away and put them in a box, and we will not have access to any anything, no social media for 10 days. I'm, I'm already um, going through withdrawal, and I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. Uh, wow. But... Until that time, I am very active on social media, and you can find me at Jill Simonello um, with the hashtag Cartagour on Instagram, Twitter, and um, TikTok. All right. Ten Damon days. is out today, but if folks want to follow Damon, he is Damon Likes Cars on Twitter. I'm trying to get him to change that to Damon is fond of mobility, but he won't make the change. <laughs> Well, you know, that's, um, it, you know, change, change is hard. Now, you and I, speaking of change and change being hard, in this case, change being expensive. Yeah. You and I have been talking electric vehicles a lot lately, a lot, a lot. Uh, but we got an email from Dana, a listener, who, who brings us a bit of bad news about her personal attempt to go EV. Yeah. Well, and, and this is a conversation we've been having um you know, because I live in Chicago and I rent. And, and this is her, her email is really interesting because she said she lives in a 24 unit condo building and they were talking about wiring each garage for 240 volt charger. So that's basically a level two charger. Level two home charging, which everyone should have. Yeah, if you're if you're going to own an EV, you should you should have a level two home charger. Um, yeah. But the the building was built in 1984, and it wasn't designed for the um, 50 amp 240 volt outlets. Um, so they were they were talking about you know okay, what would it actually cost to um, basically retroactively rewire this <laughs> garage? And um, yeah, do you want to know what the cost was? I, actually, let's pause for a moment. Let's let's people let people like get a number in their head of what they think that it would cost for a 24 unit condo building to wire their garage for um, level two chargers for each space. All right, all right, I'm bracing myself. You're bracing yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah, according to Dana's email, ComEd wanted 400 grand to bring in additional power from the street. So apparently the place is not wired to handle, what was it, 24 stations? Yeah. So to make this work, uh, and, and this is going to be the problem with high, with high density dwellings. Yeah. Uh, is this cost? Because if you needed to do this at home, it would not cost this much. No. Uh, but this is brutal, and this is a brutal reality. And she noticed that it was an assessment to each individual um, in the condo uh, in the condo of sixteen thousand dollars. No one's doing that. Yeah, no, because I mean, to, to wire your house, like if you know, in your garage, uh, in your personal home, that's going to be like m probably a thousand to five thousand dollars. I yeah, would say. Yeah. And if we look, the cars.com did that experiment. They had a couple yeah. situations that went very well and a couple that went very poorly. Um, the editor-in-chief over there, Jennifer Newman, her charging station is sort of remote from her house. Uh, it's just the way her parking is set up, and that costs more money. Yeah. So right. not not cheap right now. Uh, I think not cheap. We should probably look at getting someone from comment on the show to talk about this. Yeah, I, I think that is a really good idea, and, and um, yeah, I would love to do that. So we will have to look into that. Hey, if we're on air, I can get you to commit to doing this yourself. Jill, you want to look into that? Um, I, or I can even, since we're on air, say no. <laughs> but yes, I will look into it. I will see if I, I can find a contact. Say no on air. That was just. What I, was <laughs> I have no problem saying now. I have very good boundaries. Uh, but if anybody from Comet is listening and would like to be on the show, how can they contact us, Tom? Uh, that's car stuff at consumerguide.com. Car stuff at consumerguide.com. Love to have you on. This is a big issue. We should talk about it. All right, yes. Jill, it is, uh, it's quiz time. There's, there's no Damon okay. today. There's no Damon there today. There is no Damon. So I'm, I'm, I'm competing against myself. You are. And we usually say that uh, three is a win. Okay. Three is a win. Three is five. All right. So I've got a list here from IC Cars. We know the folks at IC Cars. This is a list of the most popular cars per IC Cars by city mm. in 2021 okay. by city. We've done state. This is city. Yes. Okay. And I just want to point out that in 30 of the 50 biggest markets, the F-150 was the most popular. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Who knew? Ooh. All right. 
All right. Our first city here is Atlanta, Georgia. Jill is the most popular okay. vehicle in 2021. Was the most popular vehicle the Ford F-150, the Toyota Camry, or the Mazda Miata? I would love for it to be the Mazda Miata, but I do not think that's it. I love that little car. Um, I don't. I don't spin in it, so I don't care. Yeah, no, it's the perfect car for me. Um, Go figure, five feet tall. Blah, blah, blah. Toyota Camry. That's going to be my guess. You are correct. All right. Yeah, I almost went with F-150 with your little spoiler at the beginning, but I'm, I'm, yeah, Toyota Camry. All right. Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. Is it the Silverado? The Chevrolet Silverado, the mm-hmm. Honda CRV, or the Chevrolet Corvette? Again, I would love for it to be the Corvette. I don't know of any place that would have the Corvette as a most popular vehicle. So you're saying CRV. So we'll take Maybe that out of it. Vatican CRV. City. It could be Vatican City. <laughs> Vatican City. That would be lovely. White one. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you're saying CRV or the Silverado? Or Corvette. Or Corvette. Um, so you've got two Chevys and a Honda. Um, Baltimore. I, uh, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Silverado. You are wrong. It is the CRV. Okay. I, that was like my first inclination, but I was trying to, you know, put a little truck talk in there. None of these are monsters, by the way. The Camry makes up 4.8% of all sales in Georgia or Atlanta, and the CRV 3.4% in Baltimore. So they're not, they're not like they're killing it. Okay. okay. They're just the most popular there. I think these, these are pretty fine differences. Uh, you know this city, Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. I'm going to get this one wrong, but go. <laughs> uh, the Ford F-150, the Hyundai Tucson, or the Ford GT? Um, <laughs> so $400,000 car versus, um, you said the F-150 or the, um, Hyundai Tucson, Hyundai Tucson. Um, I feel like this is an ironic thing. Cause I feel like Illinois was the F-150 overall maybe, but is it popular in Chicago? And they are talking about the city proper, right? Not yes. like the suburbs. I believe we are, yes. Okay. Because um, I hate it when people say, oh, I'm from Chicago. And I'm like, oh, what part? And they're like, Naperville. I'm like, that's not actually really Chicago. Um, it's Chicago-ish. It's Chicago-ish. Um, all right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say Tucson. You are correct. All right. What, I want to say we did this for the states as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like F one fifty was Tucson. It was Tucson it? in Illinois, I think. I thought F one fifty was Illinois, but maybe not. Okay, so Tucson, got it. Okay, I do All see right. a lot here. They are very attractive. You've got two of the first three. You need one more for what we technically call a win. All right. Um, you may have heard of this city, Indianapolis, Indiana. Ah, the home of where my parents are. Yeah, you drive there often. Uh, yes. Do you see more Ford F one fifties, more Chevrolet Silverados, or more Nissan Leafs? Ooh, um, not not the Nissan Leaf. Because by the way, I've been trying to find charging stations near my parents' house, and there are none. Um, so F one fifty or Silverado? Ooh, tough, tough. Um, I'm gonna say F one fifty. It is Silverado. Ooh, ah! But GM has a pickup truck plant in Indiana. Yeah, up in Fort Wayne, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that drives it. It might. I think that kind of loyalty sometimes pays off for a manufacturer. Okay. All right. You need this one for a victory. Uh-oh. All um, right. Miami, Florida. Mm. Bienvenido a Miami. The Ford F-150, the Toyota RAV4, or the Rivian R1T. <laughs> Man, now I'm having a conundrum because you bring up this thing at the beginning and you say Ford F-150 is popular in 50 places and it hasn't been a single answer yet. But then the RAV4. Um, The Ford F-150, number one seller in 30 of the 50 top markets. I think you just totally did a, hey, look over here. Let me mess up your answers at the beginning. Good chance Um, I did. You do that. Uh, I, you know what? I, I'm I'm going to go with RAV4. You were correct. RAV4 makes up 3.8% of the market in Miami proper. 
Uh, I doubt there's a Rivian R1T there yet. Um, so there you have it. You got three out of the five, so you have a technical win because there was no competition. Technical win. Nice awesome. job, Jill. We go to the bonus question because that's right. what we do. Um, I don't know how we haven't gotten around to talking about Pop-Tarts sooner, but we should talk about Ooh. them today. Okay. Do you know what year the Pop-Tart was introduced? No. 1964. Oh, wow. So the Pop-Tart is only slightly older than I am. I was going to say, it's almost as old as you are. Anyway, uh, Jill, I mentioned Pop-Tarts uh, because there are 31, and I hesitate to use the word flavors in this case, okay. but there are 31 flavor varieties of the Pop-Tart. I'm okay. going to give you four. I need you to identify the fake. Are you ready? Okay, I, I am ready. Ego slash frosted maple, salted caramel, strawberry rhubarb, or banana cream pie. Three of those are real. One is fake. I need the fake. Golly, did Pop-Tart do an Eggo um, collaboration? That's that's my first inclination is to say that one is the fake. If they did, I like that co-branding. Yeah, so um, I have to say my favorite Pop-Tart growing up was the uh-huh. cinnamon. Oh yeah, yeah. I loved the cinnamon one. I'm, I'm a, a huge cinnamon geek. Um, so you said, so it was the Eggo maple, the um, strawberry rhubarb, there was and a banana, banana cream pie, and what was the second one you said? Salted caramel. Salted, I'm going to say salted caramel is the fake. It is not the fake. Ugh. No, and the Eggo is real as well, and that's great okay. branding. Strawberry rhubarb, that's our fake. You did not get the bonus question this week. Uh, this information comes from poptarts.com, so I assume <laughs> it is accurate. Assume it is accurate. Well, so, um, and by the way, I have to, to go back to the um, quiz from last week where we were talking about the worst French fries. Yeah. I, I've had so many people come up to me and talk to me about that. They're like, yeah, totally, totally White Castle. Um, but then, you know, there were a couple of people who were like, no, you know, not White Castle. White Castle are the best. So I, I don't know. But I, I've actually had a lot of people talk to me about that quiz. So Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, someone mentioned that to me, too. So and the French fries, clearly a, a topic we can all just sort of gather around. Yeah, bite into. Jill, Jill, ask me what's new at the CG Daily Drive blog. Um, hey, Tom. Yeah. What's new at the CG Daily Drive blog? I'm glad you asked because we got some fun stuff up this week. We're running out of time, but I do want to I do want to pimp the boss here. Um, we have a photo feature of the 1947 Delahaye 135 MS Chapron. This is a beautiful car. We stole this from Collectible mm. Automobile Magazine. I don't know if John knows I'm stealing his content, but it's a great photo <laughs> feature you want to check out. Uh, we have, and Jill, you know all about this, the 2022 mm. Mama Spring Rally has happened. Yes. Uh, but, but Damon, uh, John, and I have done a, a series of quick reviews of vehicles we drove there. We call it Seven Fast Reviews. People want to check that out. We will post this. Uh, we will post this online. But real quick reviews of brand new product coming up from there. Another photo feature I stole from John. I, I hope he's not listening. Uh, this is an interesting car. It's the 1961 DeSoto hardtop coupe. This is the last year for DeSoto. This car is really rare. The coupe is especially rare. And then I don't know if you're looking at this, but this bronze and black treatment That's is gorgeous. really compelling. Yeah. It's classy. It's classy as heck. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Uh, and then finally, we have a test drive of the 2022 Audi Q5 Sportback. Um, I want to thank Audi for not calling this vehicle a coupe. Um, which so many manufacturers do when they give a a car the Sportback treatment. But the Q5 is Audi's compact crossover Sportback, a little bit more rakish, but beautiful interior, really good use of space. You don't lose that much space by going Sportback. You do pay more money. So if you're thinking about a luxury compact crossover, this is nice. But look at the regular Q5 first to make sure you want to make that dollar jump. Yeah. All right. Guess what we did? Um, We talked too much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> Jill, did we talk too much? Oh, okay. Maybe I talked too much. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure I did, too. Okay. All right. <laughs> Big thanks to John Beale of Collectible Automobile Magazine for joining us this week. Thank you, Jill, for being my solo co-host. Thank you to the good folks here at WCPT M820 in Chicago. And as always, thanks to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. Remember to follow us on Facebook. You can follow the Car Stuff Podcast and Consumer Guide on Facebook. And if you want to drop us a line, uh, send us a question. We are at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is car stuff. 
at consumerguide.com. Let's talk more about cars again next week.